It's time once again for another thrilling episode of Mark Out Radio. Of Mark Out Radio. For the next hour, sit back, pull the stick out of your ass, and enjoy. Be warned though, smarks and internet know-it-alls will be offended, annoyed, and generally pissed off at what's about to happen to your ear holes. You've been warned. Now, Mark Out Radio. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Let's get that camera going there, producer boy. Atta boy. All right, welcome to Mark I Radio Goes Nitro. This is episode 95 for July the 7th, 1997 out of the Mid-South Coliseum in Memphis, Tennessee. Hosted again this week by Tony Schiavone, Larry Zabisco, Mike Tanay, and Bobby the Brain Heenan. Now, this is Nitro's 56 win in a row with a marginal increase to 3.4 from last week's 3.3, with Raw holding the line at a 2.5 in the ratings share. 7,799 people were actually there, with 7,230 of them paying a gate of $114,705. Last night was yet another WWF in your house, although this one I can actually remember sneaking into a local bar that often served minors to watch it. Now, In Your House, Canadian Stampede uh, was filmed right out of the Saddle Dome. I I wish I was kidding. For those of you that are unfamiliar with Calgary... um, Imagine that every cowboy, real or cosplay, founded a city. Almost everything in the city surrounds cowboying in some way, except in the direct area of the former Olympic Village. Uh, It's like you died and went Canadian Texas. And like Texas, the actual cowboys who raise my favorite food source are getting forced out of the city and back to their ranches by young tech money inflating house prices. But this isn't about geopolitics, not this show. This is about fake politics. So let's get back into that, shall we? The Canadian Stampede card had a uh, dark match in the, um, uh, what do you want to call it, the warm-up TV show, I guess, which featured the Godwins Henry and Phineas Godwin, or Phineas Godwin, depending on who you ask, defeating the new Blackjacks, Blackjack Bradshaw and Blackjack Wyndham. Now, for those of you keeping score at home, Yes, Blackjack Bradshaw is, in fact, JBL, and Blackshaw, Blackjack Wyndham is indeed Barry Wyndham of WCW fame, the uncle and godfather to our dearly departed fiend. Fuck, I hate that they got rid of him, and I, I love Alexa Bliss, but I just I hate that they got rid of him and kept her goofy giving. Anyways... Actual starting match of the night was Hunter Hearst Helmsley with China in his corner, defeating Mankind via double countout. Um, whatever, 13 minutes of that was fine. The Great Sasuke and Takamichinoku in a singles match at a 10-minute mark. Uh, the Undertaker defeats Vader with Paul Bearer in a singles match for the championship. Yeah, that's right, the championship. 12 minutes, 39 seconds. And your main event was the Hart Foundation, Bret Hart, Brian Pillman, the British Bulldog, Jim, the Anvil, Neidhart, Owen Hart, uh, defeating... Ken Shamrock, Gold Dust, Legion of Doom, Hawk and Animal, of course, and Stone Cold Steve Austin in a 10-man tag team match, 24 minutes, 31 seconds. Now, I am a big Vader mark. Uh, this feud, though, was garbage. They had no idea what they were doing with Vader. They just wanted a former WCW champ, and he quickly got the Ric Flair treatment. 
Triple H versus Mankind, the build was better than the match, the 10 mad tag was actually really good, and, and Hart knew that the audience would have the patience to sit for some insane reason. I don't know why, I can't explain it why, it must be in the fucking DNA or something, but Canadians seem to have a lot of patience for well-performed huge tag matches up here. Now, to this day, I will get excited when I see the guys that I know are in a big tag team match. Uh, giving it over 20 minutes allows everyone to have some time to get in the ring to develop some heat. I enjoyed this pay-per-view enough that I actually want to go back and nostalgically watch it right after the show is done. Now, I wonder, though, if I can find the pre-show with the Godwins match because the Godwins had a solid gold gimmick. I just... Oh, so... <laughs> Anyways, back to Nitro. Everything kicks off with a recap of the closing moments from last week's show with Sting descending from the rafters, clearing the ring. Hedig comes out uh, to the ring. Raven comes up over the barricade uh, while some Mark posed and tried to put himself over um, wearing a white tank top I'm and a blue bandana. My love, too sexy for really? my love. You're giving Love's <laughs> going to leave. Well, I suppose... I, you know, it, it, turn it down before we get demonetized. Thank you. We got demonetized last week for the fucking, or not last, last show for the uh, WCW or the uh, NWO montage. Uh, they incorrectly identified it, YouTube. Awesome. You guys are great. I just, yeah. Anyways, that takes us into the intro, and uh, Gene invites us <laughs> to the show. We get to see a more close, uh, mostly sold out venue. Now, this is true wrestling territory, so it makes sense that WCW can fill this place at this point in time. Gene has a rant promo with Hennig, one of the best promo guys in the business at the time, in my opinion, and he did not disappoint with this promo. Now, at this point, Henning had been out of action for a while and had transitioned to commentary in WWF because of his ongoing neck problems. Now, there were plenty of allegations out there about how he got into ring shape and what he was doing in a WCW ring with those neck problems. And most of them surrounded WCW's rather, well, let's call it a very loose drug policy. Uh, this is allegedly how it worked. If you were on the juice when you arrived or you wanted to get on the juice, you'd go to the chief WCW medical doc and tell him. Then he'd allegedly help you to plan your protocol so that you could be off long enough to piss clean and then be right back on again. Now, again, allegedly, Hennig was talking to Bischoff for months before Vince caught wind of it. And Allegedly, he told his doc to piss test Hennig because he knew that he'd fail and then Vince could fire him with any legal ramifications coming on board. By that point, though, Hennig was already jumping ship, so Eric just started him sooner. Now, with that failed drug test on his record, Hennig had to piss clean within three months of arriving at WCW per WCW's health policy. He had a clean test on night one. So I got to ask you, how could Vince's doc piss test him and he gets positive results for PEDs and not Eric's? Well, allegedly, Hennig's piss test wasn't actually Hennig's piss. With a clean record now and the arrogance that goes along with it, he got onto a new protocol so that he could reasonably be pain-free for the bash. Now, 
Back to your regularly scheduled promo. Gene asks straight up if uh, Hennig is going to be joining DDP at the bash or if he's going to join his old friend Scott Hall in the NWO. Now, Henning and Hall were AWA tag team champions while Gene was there, and the moniker for their tag team was a perfect blend of style and substance. Uh, in the in the promo images that they used for advertising this tag team, Hennig was rocking a patchy beard that would put mine to shame, and Hall still had his Magnum TA handlebar mustache going on. Anyways, the fans started to cheer as Flair got came out to the audience, came out the ramp, sorry, with a hot blonde coming out behind him. Flair invites Kurt into the horseman. This effectively ends the promo as Hennig is dragged away by said blonde. First match of the night ends up being the public enemy flyby Rocka Rock versus Johnny Grunge defeating Harlem Heat, Booker T, and Stevie Ray with Sister Sherry. I gave it two and a half out of five. Now, we're told that this is a return bout from Saturday night when Vincent interfered and gave Public Enemy the W. Then Larry equips that the enemy faced high voltage at a house show last night. Now, I'm not sure why we care about either of those events, since the commentators really don't seem to give a flying fuck about this match at all, and spent the entirety of the match talking about the Rodman-Hogan pairing and their match coming up at the Bash. Fair enough, you've got to put over the main event at the Bash, but there's an actual match going on in the ring right now. I think you could pay just a little bit of attention to it. Vincent comes out again. Sherry grabs Booker, who, after careful consideration, decides that Stevie can handle these two jamokes. He bails to chase Vincent to the back, with Booker making his way back to the ring after chasing away Vincent. Sherry shoves Rock off the top rope right into Stevie and Grunge. Grunge then rolls over, landing the pinfall over Stevie Ray, and we get a Valvoline replay of this rather sloppy, but eh, go home. After this, Gene conducts an in-ring promo with Harlem Heat. Gene accidentally calls Vincent Virgil, which was solid gold. Anyways, Booker... Thank you. A little late on the update there, Producer Brian. Anyways, Booker threatens to fire Sherry if she can't get her shit together, so Sherry, of course, quits. Back from break, we get a vignette of the Benoit Sullivan feud. Uh, This was one of the better ones. It's still not really that good, but it was definitely one of the better ones. Yeah, that's right. It's got filters on it. It's got tons of editing going into it. I do not know how much time production spent on this, but it was way too much. Conan, after that, defeats Joey, Joe Gomez excuse me, via submission. I gave that one two and a half out of five. We get a recap of when Conan broke Ray's knee last week on Nitro. Cholo Heisenberg makes his way down to the ring. He doesn't even bother to take his jacket off for this match. The camera finds Raven, and the commentators finally focus on a match that's actually happening in front of them. Anyways, Raven is doing his whole I'm bored with this shit moody teenage gimmick. This allows the commentary team to move on to talking about everything else except this match for the rest of this match until the submission comes and Gomez sells his knee right into break. Uh, Again, this go home, Conan looked like he was going to break Gomez's knee too, which was, I don't know, whatever. I mean, it is what it is. It's not the end of the universe. It's certainly not the best gimmick they've ever had for this guy, but... I again the Cholo Heisenberg they I, it's too bad that Breaking Bad wasn't around because they could have leaned heavy into that one anyways after this Juventud Guerrera and Hector Garza defeat Los Villanos which is Villano number four and number five in this tag team pairing I gave this one three and a half out of five there was a risky piece of booking since uh the Lucha style really hasn't caught on yet uh in North America in general but now you're in the heart of wrestling territory where there's a lot of rest moves and like, you know, big bumps and things like that. So it was a risky move to put this match here 
Um, but by now, fans know who Juventud is. So he was able to get some pops during his stuff. And once the Volanos figured out what the audience would actually give him heat for, they adjusted their style as well. Hector Garza, unfortunately, was a lost puppy dog out there looking very much like a fucking greenhorn. <laughs> To his, I shouldn't send you show rundowns. To his credit, Juventud started working closer to Garza and some of his heat rubbed off on Garza, helped the kid get his bearings and get into the match, but he still very much looked green and unsure of himself. Garza performs an incredible moonsault that even moon salt. Jesus, that even Larry puts over. The Velados knock themselves over the top rope to the outside, setting up Garza for his bullshit corkscrew plancha bullshit, which you guessed it. <laughs> He botched so badly uh, that Volano number four was actually checking on him right in front of the live camera. I mean, it it was on him for way too long. Finally, one of the jackasses in the production truck switched to live cam to Juvie and Volano five in the ring. And after Hoovy's 450 splash uh, from the corner, this one was over. Post-match, Tony practically buries Garza's move. Mike Tanay explains away the shitty corkscrew plancha botch which is kind of his job so he kind of gets a pass for it but it is a god-awful fucking move he never hits it right he always hurts himself this time he landed on the side of his fucking head last time he put it off he jammed his neck up like i have yet to see this this move actually look good it's the, the problem is i just take you down the little rabbit hole here but the problem with this corkscrew plancha is it's effectively a headbutt and the problem is that when you're spinning through the air, like you've seen Benoit miss headbutts. When you're spinning through the air, you totally fucking lose your bearings. I have yet to see him hit it because normally when somebody tries to do a corkscrew plancha, the idea is to land with as much of your chest and shoulders as possible so that the guy can catch you. When you do this corkscrew, effectively a corkscrew diving fucking headbutt, I can't catch you because your head is going to be either on my clavicle at best. At worst, you're going to hit me in the fucking head or yourself in the head. There's no way for me to catch you and sell this. The only way to actually sell this move is to start falling as he's jumping and hope that you get the timing right so that your chests land one on top of the other. But then you lose the whole point of the fucking corkscrew plancha headbutt. It's just a, it's a shitty Shitty fucking move. I need to stop ranting about it because it's garbage. It's it's a garbage move, even in the Lucha universe. It's just terrible. Anyways, after this, the NWO theme plays as Savage Hall and Liz come out to take over the commentary position. Uh, everyone bails except Lethal Larry Zabisco. Hall starts cutting his Bash to the Beach promo with the music still on full volume. Again, nice work, production monkeys. Savage gets the stick despite having a headset on. He cuts his promo and tells us that he's going to have a live wrestling show tonight. I have no idea why he needs to announce he's having a live wrestling event at a live wrestling event, but whatever. Anyways, Hall and Larry shove each other a little bit and they almost throw down, but Savage drags Hall away. All in all, it was a decent to excellent promo. It ended with a huge pop as Hall and Zabisco face off against one another. We get a bromance vignette next of Luger and Giant as they discuss their match like it's a behind-the-scenes NFL interview package. It could have been much worse, if I'm going to be honest, but it really wasn't very good. Um, mostly because the fact that whoever lights up Luger needs to remember that his five head, and I'm speaking from experience here, all right? His five head is a lighter shade of skin than the rest of his face. And... 
the problem is that when you light him, you have to light him either straight on or you've got to light him from the ang- from the opposite angle that you're shooting him at so that you don't get the shadows going. The problem is that they lit him up up here. And so when you light up a guy above his head, first of all, it casts, it makes your nose look even bigger because you get the shadow going down. But what ends up happening is anything up here looks even lighter than it otherwise would. It just, I, Giant was lit up perfect. I have no idea who the fuck was doing Luger's interview, but whoever was doing Giants should have done Luger's too. Anyways, after this, we get vicious and delicious buff Bagwell and Scott Norton defeating Eddie and Chavo Guerrero when Bagwell, oh Jesus, fuck off with your extra notes. I gave that one three and a half out of five. Again, the commentating team is all over this match as things just kept happening in it. it. There was enough action in it that it didn't bore the commentators to the point where they moved on to talking about something else, which is a bonus for all of us. There's a great spot here where Norton reverses a suplex on the Guerreros. You know, the whole move where two guys try to suplex one bigger guy and he turns it around. I love that spot. Made it look so effortless. And the problem, the only problem with this spot was that Eddie flipped over too fast. And so he essentially landed on his ass. He had to sell the back fob. Anyways, Eddie poses after this like buff. He gets slapped in the face by buff for his efforts. Eddie then bails on Chavo, who eats the pin after getting the crowd on his side. Chavo almost misses a moonsault on Norton uh, during part of his onslaught. Norton just catches him. He Chavo moonsaults off of the top rope and Norton catches him. He was a little bit short too. So when Norton caught him, he actually, his Chavo's knees were on Norton's shoulder. He had to reach his arm down, grab on a Chavo around the waist and muscle him up onto his shoulder to then do the scoop slam piece. Holy fucking shit. Norton is just a beast. God damn it. Vincent comes out at some point. Uh, he's just an invisible clown at this point. I, I I have no idea when he was out there. All I know is that after Norton press slam or after Norton scoop slam Chavo, I notice. oh, hey, Vincent's out there now. We get a slow-mo recap of the go home here, and that's a wrap for this match. Hour two kicks off with fireworks, and Tony goes down the rundown for hour two. Larry will not leave as, Bri- as Brain comes out uh, to grab another headset. Um, I was hoping that the production monkeys would, monkeys would figure out how to get this set live because it's almost always off. However, spoiler alert, they didn't. <laughs> After this, LaParka defeats Randy Savage. I gave this one four out of five, not because the chairman was against Randy Savage, but because of how this ended. And I'm not going to spoil it for you by ruining how the ending goes until we get to the ending. All right? All right? All right? All right? Zero. Shut point up. Point zero. gets his usual entrance. The cameras stay on him for about three seconds. Savage, Hall, and Liz come out. Then they get distracted by Larry's select commentary. Savage rips up a kid's poster for some cheap heat. They eventually make their way down to the ring, and they never did manage to get Brain's headset to work. Instead, Larry surrendered his headset. They'd pass it back and forth, and one would need to talk or the other need to talk. Uh, but Larry surrendered it entirely as Hall began to walk his way over the commentary position since the two of them were going to have another little pissing contest. Meanwhile, back in the ring, LaParka nails Savage with the diamond cutter. What? There it is. Yeah. LaParka nails Savage with the diamond cutter. Pulls off the mask to reveal that it was GDP all along. Oh. Oh. 
right? Okay, I got a little excited about that. Shut up. Anyways, DDP celebrates in the audience for a little while. He gets a huge pop. Hall puts it over for a nice long pop that just extended right into the commercial break. Back from break, one of the cameramen has focused on a MILF in a pleather dress. Creepy fuck. Psychosis and Silver King uh, versus Glacier and Ernest Miller ends in a no contest. They gave that two out of five. After their entrances, which again, fucking Glacier got his huge fucking entrance. He didn't do the posing in the middle of the ring, thank fuck. But anyways, the match in the ring starts, and then we end up in the back where Eddie and Chavo are fighting. We get back out to the ring. There's about 30 more seconds of a match before Wrath and Mortis come out, and then there's a big three-way schmoz between the three tag teams that lead us into break. Back from break, there's a baby in a custom Piper shirt sitting on her mother's head. I'm hopeful that the little tyke doesn't shit itself because diapers in the 90s didn't hold much in for long. We're coming for you, nigga! Wow, holy shit, really? All right, anyways. Then it's time for the 1-800-COLLECT-ROAD report from that golden voice bastard, Lee Marshall. Please be good, please be good, please be good. It's, it's been so long since it's been good. <laughs> Fuck. Gene does a ramp promo with Ric Flair after this, and the hot blonde comes down with him, who Gene will curiously know the name of, of course, eventually. Flair continues his feud with Piper by talking to a mannequin dressed up in a kilt and then throwing to the arm candy to speak. Look, I um I, I love accents. I I, I I even love my listeners from the southern states where this kind of wrestling is still very popular. But I do have to say, nothing makes my berries shrivel up and retreat into my body like a Memphis accent. There are some exceptions. When women with those throatier, more sultry voices, sure, yeah, that'll get the blood pumping. But at the usual range of what I lovingly call nagging wife octave, nope, just nope. Twig and berries just disappear right into my fucking body. Anyways, this promo starts to pick up steam as Piper comes out, and the production work here was actually very well done with the kilt grabbing on the mannequin and then the close angle of Piper coming down and then the kilt grabbing of Piper. I mean, I guess the production team missed the earlier stuff I pointed out by girding up their loins for this promo. Piper chases Flair out to the ring, and Piper starts ripping Flair, <laughs> Flair's suit off of him. He realizes a little bit too late that it's really hard to tear off suits that haven't been worked. Dress shirts, though, tear fairly easy. This one was worked a little bit too, though. Anyways, there's a Donnybrook until Benoit and Mongo come out, and then Piper takes on the whole pack. Benoit hits an incredible distance with a swan dive, and we go to break as someone with long, flowing blonde hair gets into the ring. But we never find out who it is from commentary. Of course, though, it's Jarrett making the save for Piper, which if the commentary team would have fucking talked about that coming back from break, that would have helped to build the feud between Jarrett and the Horseman, which would actually kind of help the heat with Piper and Flair and the Horseman, too. But I mean, why would we do that? I, you know, just, you know, why would we go ahead and do that? Okay. Back from break, Raven is accosted by Mike Tanay, who is then saved by Stevie Richards, who then tries to get an answer out of Raven. Uh, while an actual guy dressed up as a clown in the background gets in on the shot, Raven smacks Stevie in the face and storms off. And that is, I guess, the end of this fucking train wreck of a promo. I, here's the thing. I don't actually mind the Raven pouty teenager gimmick. I, 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 it's good for his character. And I don't mind the Stevie Richards. If any of you ever watched Looney Tunes back in the day, there was always that big pit bull and that little fucking thing that would jump over him. That's Stevie Richards and Raven. The, the big pit bull's Raven. Stevie, whatever. Just, just. Zero 
point zero. I have no problem with the shit. It's just gone on too long. It's we've had two weeks of this. We've had two weeks of fucking Mike today trying to talk to Raven. It's a shitty gimmick. It's not working. It's not going over. Nobody fucking cares. Even the people sitting around him don't fucking care. There was a girl behind Raven who had like short hair. And she was dressed like a Raven's Flock member. I'm not trying to be offensive here, but like you know what I mean. Anyways, even she got disinterested in the promo going on less than a foot away from her fucking face. I just, it's got to stop. It's awful. The Snyder brothers then are in the main event. Rick and Scott Snyder, of course, defeating Chris Benoit and Steve Mongo McMichael. Now, <clears throat> I gave this one four and a half out of five. Here's why. There's a ton of shit that happens in this match that both builds the match and builds both teams. So, Let's get into it, shall we? Scotty doesn't normally do the two different boots gimmick. That's Rick's deal. But this week, he's reversed Rick's colors while Rick continues to wear the vinyl signal singlet like Scotty does. This makes them look a little bit more like a quote-unquote tag team, but I don't think anyone was confused that the Steiner brothers are a tag team. I don't think that this is really that necessary. I mean, it, I guess if Scotty goes to like vinyl tights, it just looks weird that Rick's still wearing the fucking 60s and 70s tie-dye shit, I suppose. After all of the entrances, Tanae rejoins the commentary position where his headset, of course, doesn't work for a while. Rick wags his tongue at Deborah while he's got to move on. <laughs> well, he's got to move on Benoit. It gets a pop from the crowd because, of course, by this point, everyone knows that Deborah's fucking pretty much everybody. Allegedly. That's how that works, right? We go backstage where Savage has attacked Nick Patrick. No fucking idea why. Back in the ring, Steiners are controlling the match. Rick keeps trying to get into Deborah's dress, which, again, allegedly is not all that hard. Scotty and Mongo perform a very clean and good look and belly-to-belly from the middle rope, which was quickly followed by a Benoit flying headbutt. This was an excellent chain of moves that got a great reaction from the crowd and the commentators. Derek comes out, starts blasting Mongo at ringside. Jimmy Hart distracts the ref while Sullivan pulls a worked bamboo chair out of Jackie's hand so hard that she does a fucking faceplant at ringside. Then he nails Benoit with it in the ring. He inexplicably grabs a sharp piece of wood and goes to stab Benoit. Rick has to break character entirely to stop him because if you stop and think about it for a second, Rick Steiner and Benoit are on opposite teams. Why would Rick care if... Sullivan hurts the guy that he's fighting. But he has to because Sullivan is out of his goddamn mind and everyone there knows it. And so Brick has to break character in order to stop him. And when they show the replay of it, you can actually see the fucking concern, not the anger, the concern on Rick's face as Sullivan moves towards fucking Benoit with what is essentially a fucking wooden dagger. Sullivan rolls to the outside, knocks down that Weeble Wobble Jackie again, and in the ring, Rick gets the pinfall over Benoit. The chaos here for the go-home <clears throat> wasn't nearly as much as the clusterfuck as I thought it was going to be when I read my rundown for this card. It got a lot done in about 90 seconds. First, Jarrett versus Horseman heat build. Second, Sullivan Benoit heat build, like it needs it, but anyways. Jackie was getting offers at the time from the WWF, so their goofy fight spot between her and Sullivan would eventually lead to her being fired from WCW, and they got to recap the whole fucking thing a few times from different angles. Now, we're back from break, so we get the longest NWO vignette of all for the Hogan Rodman versus Luger Giant main event at Bash of the Beach. 
there, there's been mostly still images all show, but I wasn't putting them over because it's just lazy promotion. Now, though, we get to see a Hogan Bischoff promo to put the hot audience to sleep. Hogan takes about an hour to get down to the ring. They get into the ring. We get to see just how much like aged leather Hogan's fake and baking has made him. Anyways, Hogan runs his mouth heel style well for a bit until Luger and Giant come down to the ring. Bischoff nails Luger from behind, ends up in the rack for his efforts. Vincent comes down, gets chokeslammed by the Giant Bagwell, comes out in his Zubaz. He also gets chokeslammed. The show fades to black on Luger and Giant, daring Hogan and the NWO to get back into the ring. Overall, this is a fairly decent episode of Nitro. It does a good job of being the go-home ma- uh, show for Bash of the Beach. Even though some of the matches didn't get the spotlight, enough of them did that it sells the pay-per-view in a meaningful way. Uh, people are chomping at the bit specifically to see the Flair and uh, Piper match now that that's actually less of a fucking work and it looks more legit. Uh, people could give two fucks about Hogan Rodman versus Luger Giant. I know that at the time, there was a lot of buzz around Rodman being in there, but that buzz wore off real fast. The honeymoon was over quickly. Uh, I think what a lot of people are looking forward to is the Macho and Scott Hall versus DDP and mm, match coming up because to me, like that's been the best build out of everything that's been going on lately, especially with the DDP LaParca gimmick tonight. Anyways, this week, Nitro gets a four out of five. Again, decent show. Well done on your go home. Well, that was an abortion of a show. Should the mood take you, check out markoutradio.com and leave a comment. You can also find links there to our Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Stitcher channels. You can even leave a voicemail on our Skype. Just click the links and share them. 